Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. All month this month, we have been looking at the theme of just kingdom living. Uh, we've gone from having Peter in on our partnership of uh, just grace and hope in Kenya. We talked about the vulnerable children uh, that all of us are responsible for. Last week, we looked at what it looks like to live under the power of the Holy Spirit in kingdom living. And today, we have an incredible, incredible gift and blessing. Today, we're going to look at just what is happening across the globe with some of our brothers and sisters and persecuted places. We're going to just hear a message of, some things that they would want us to grab hold of. And I think today is going to be an incredibly big eye-opening encouragement for us to pray for God's movement that is happening across this world and that will continue to happen. I don't want to take any more time up than I have to, but I want to introduce you guys to Jonathan Ekman this morning. Jonathan is the vice president of Voice of the Martyrs, their strategy and partnerships globally. And this morning, would you do me a big favor and give him a hand for challenging us in the word this morning? Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your heart for the world. Thank Thanks, you, Jonathan. Bless you. Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be at Burnt Hickory Baptist Church this morning. Um, Matt, thank you so much for letting me do this. My goal this morning is just to, to bring a word to you from our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Um, as you saw in the video, the, the work of Voice of the Martyrs around the world, we're active in more than 70 countries, uh, all of them hostile or restricted access. So you can think of restricted access as those places where the opposition is mostly from the government. There are laws, you can think Cuba, China, North Korea, places like that. And then hostile. Hostile are places where ostensibly there's some level of freedom, but the persecution comes at the family level, village, city kind of, of level. And Voice of the Martyrs, we were founded more than 50 years ago by Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. Uh, Richard was a Romanian pastor who spent 14 years uh, in prison in Romania and was ransomed out and came and started a mission from the persecuted church to the Western world. And that is Voice of the Martyrs today. A little bit about me, as, as you heard, I'm on the, the executive team for our international ministry, international ministry of Voice of the Martyrs. We, our team is around 100, 105, 110, depending on the day. Uh, brothers and sisters around the world. We have 40 nationalities represented on our staff, and we're active in more than 70 countries uh, around the world. And it, it is an incredible blessing to be able to do the work that VOM does, to be able to come alongside our brothers and sisters in their times of need, and even more so to be challenged and encouraged by them as we watch them live out their faith in very difficult and dangerous places. Um, let me just tell you real briefly what the work looks like in the field. Uh, they alluded to it in the video. The, the main thing that we do, the first thing that we do is persecution response. How do we come alongside our brothers and sisters when they suffer for the activity of their faith? And how do we help the church to stand? Um, this is often pastors, missionaries, church planters, those types of things. 
And what we want to do is if a brother or sister is martyred, we want to come alongside that family, make sure they have a place to live and food to eat and their children go to school. Same like with Wang Yi in prison. We want to take care of his family, make sure they have a place to live, food to eat, and their children are going to school. Replacing what was lost if they burned the church down or the home or whatever it may have been, we want to help replace that. And our goal is that we want the church to stand. And when those persecutors come, they're trying to drive the church out. So Voice of the Martyrs and by extension American Christians across the the country want to come alongside that pastor, those leaders, and say, stand. How can we help you stand? Because the gospel needs to be there. The second thing we do is Bibles, Bible distribution. We, we believe that every Christian in the world deserves the right to have their own copy of God's Word, whether that's paper and ink or digital or audio, whatever it may be. We want to be sure that they have it, and we want to do that. Really, we do it three ways. If we can just go to the Bible Society, like the Bible Society of India, it's the largest Bible Society in the world, and we can just buy Bibles and ship them to Jammu Kashmir up on the Pakistan border or to Bihar, um, the graveyard of missionaries uh, historically. We'll do that. If we can't do that, we smuggle. Uh, I consider Bible smuggling to be a core competency for our staff. Uh, It used to look like, you know, taking a couple of extra Bibles in your suitcase and carrying them across the border into China. Today, it looks much more like trucks with false bottoms and planes and things like that. Uh, Whenever I talk about smuggling, I'm always quick to say we don't smuggle Bibles on the same trucks with drugs and guns. There are enough wild-eyed Christians willing to to drive trucks full of Bibles across dangerous borders. So we use those guys. Um, And then if we can't do that, if we can't go buy them and we can't smuggle them, we print them. In-country printing or underground printing, uh, which are the coolest stories we have, and I can't tell you any of them, right? But if we will do, take whatever risk are necessary in order to see that our brothers and sisters have the word. We want to do that. And the last thing is really just to come alongside our brothers and sisters who are taking the gospel to what I call the bleeding edge of the gospel, those least and last reached places on the planet. Because you see, wherever we see the gospel going forward, we see persecution. Where we don't see the gospel going forward, we don't see persecution. So we want to come alongside those brothers and sisters. What do you need? How can we help you? How can we help you go to that that village, that town, that country? And that looks like everything from bicycles and motorbikes to gospel literature to training. Whatever they need, we want to give it to them because we want to see the kingdom continue to advance uh, around the world. So for me, before I came to VOM, I've been at VOM about 13 years. Um, Before that, I spent about 10 years training leaders in Burma and Cambodia. Burma is my favorite, Myanmar. Burma is my favorite country on the planet. Uh, I described it as going to Dallas. I have a lot of friends there. I can tell you where to get a good meal, uh, probably. Um, And that's what we do. And I couldn't do it if it weren't for my family, my wife, Jan, who is the hero of our story. Um, You might wives imagine this. We used to travel for all about seven years in a row, uh, a month, a quarter. I would travel. Uh, with no communication. The internet was still illegal in Burma. So I would call her from Bangkok and say, okay, sweetie, we're headed in. And I would head in and we would teach and train. And 28 days later, I would call her when I came out. Um, She's the whole reason I'm here, right? She's, I'm still married miraculously 32 years later. Uh, We have a wife. uh, We have a wife. We have a son and a daughter. And a lot of missionaries, they'll say, I'm the husband of one wife, because it's really important to say that in certain parts of the world. 
Um, I have a son and a daughter. My son is a YWAMer, youth with a mission. Uh, he's kind of gone into the family business, right? So he's lived in Paraguay, uh, the Philippines, Nepal, and Cambodia. And then I have a daughter who's a banker in Kansas City. So, uh, yeah, I know she gets mad at me every time I say it. Like, I should say it better than that. So, but that's our family. That's what we do. And, and I have the pleasure of, of being able to sit with our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, Matt and I were comparing travel schedules. I, I spend about 100 days a year overseas. Uh, and most of that time is sitting with our brothers and sisters, meeting with partners and sitting with persecuted believers. So what I want to do this morning is I want to bring you some encouragement from your family. At Voice of the Martyrs, you will always hear us talk about the global church as our brothers and sisters. So often we think of, oh, well, that's those poor Christians in that country, right? Those poor Christians in China or whatever. They're not poor Christians. They're your family. They are your brothers and sisters. We will spend eternity together. I often remind people, if you think the global church looks like your church, you're probably sadly mistaken, right? The global church is massive and it is beautiful. Um, and I want to I bring you some encouragement from them. Rolo, who's a dear friend of mine, the first guy in that video in Colombia, Rolo, I've traveled with Rolo all over Colombia. He scares me every time I'm with him. But if Rolo were standing here, what would he say to you? As we look at the world around us, as we watch the news and we look at social media and all those things, and we see war in the Middle East and in Europe, we see confusion and fear in the U.S., what would he say? What would they say to us? And as I've spent time with them, I think these are the three things that they would encourage you with this morning. And I pray that you're encouraged by it. Um, I want us to read Psalm chapter 2, just the, the first six verses. Um, I love this psalm. One, I love it because in the book of Acts in chapter 4, when uh, Peter and John are persecuted for the first time by the religious leaders, and they come back together as the church, and they begin to pray, they quote this psalm. This psalm is important to a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world. So if you have your Bible or phone or whatever, would you stand in honor of reading God's word? I know that's old-fashioned, but if you knew what this book meant to our brothers and sisters, they won't read it unless they're standing. So, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Sounds familiar, huh? Verse 4. For he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I, I love that, that verse because so often we think when we see what's happening around us that it couldn't be any worse. It couldn't be any worse. The wars, the, the threats that we feel to, to our freedoms and our families and all of those things. And yet the Bible reminds us God is not in heaven fretting. Wondering what's going to happen. Who's going to win the next election? I, that's not what God spends his time doing, right? God is watching everything. He is working all things according to his plan. So I want to encourage you this morning. Yeah, be courageous, right? We serve an awesome God who can deliver us from all things. So the three things I want to encourage you with. The first one this morning is this. The joy of an eternal perspective. 
the joy of an eternal perspective. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. This is the, I, I think a lot of our brothers just say, this is the secret. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. In the midst of difficult days, in the midst of challenging things, keep your eyes on Jesus. This eternal perspective. There is more to this life than today. There's more to this life than whatever crisis or challenge you're walking through. Because we serve a risen king, and he is on his throne. Richard Wormbrand, who founded Voice of the Martyrs, my favorite quote from Richard. In fact, if you were to come to my office, as you leave, it's above the door. So everyone that leaves my office has to see this. Richard said this, A man really believes not what he recites in his creeds, but only those things he's willing to die for. What are you willing to die for? Is the gospel worth dying for? What should we risk to see a Palestinian come to Christ? I would argue we should risk everything. Everything. Because our king is on his throne and he is looking for worshipers. And we should be willing to do that. I want to give you a, tell you a couple of stories. The stories I'll tell you this morning are firsthand. As far as, these are not stories I read somewhere. These are people that I know well and have have heard these stories from them. The first one is about a dear brother. We'll call him Ibrahim. Ibrahim lives in the Arabian Peninsula, so over by Saudi Arabia. He doesn't live in Saudi, but one of the countries that borders that. A very hostile, war-torn place, a very difficult place. And Ibrahim is not even from there. Ibrahim is from South Asia. He's a missionary. He and his wife moved there as an opportunity to win this country to Christ. And Ibrahim is a wild man. This country is 99 point whatever percent Christ, or Muslim. And Ibrahim walks around the capital city wearing a clerical collar. Not because he's Catholic or Lutheran, but because he wants everyone to know that he is a pastor. And Ibrahim has been working there for several years. And a, a, a year or so ago, he had assembled this small little church, about 12 people. And on a Sunday morning... They are meeting together, and in the middle of the service, men burst into the room with guns. Could you even imagine that, if that were to happen here? Men burst in with guns, and chaos breaks out. They're screaming and shouting. They're tearing up Bibles. They're threatening the pastor. They're threatening the church. And at some point, they would go up, and they put a gun to Ibrahim's head. And they said, you will recant, or you will die. Right? So what do you do? What do you do? Here's what Ibrahim did. Ibrahim looked at his congregation, his small flock, and he said, be at peace. Soon we will be with Jesus. Be at peace. Soon we will be with Jesus. How can you say that? Only by having an eternal perspective, right? What's about to happen in this room? We will be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That is more, Right? Ibrahim said when he said that word, there was a supernatural peace that fell over that small room. He said, you could almost feel it. It's, it's in the room. And he said, everything got very quiet and very still. And he said, and after a couple of moments, the men with the guns set them on the ground 
and walked out of the room. Here's the crazy thing. Two years later, Ibrahim's still pastoring. Same place, right? Why? Eternal perspective, right? There are some things that are worth dying for. There are some worth dying for. When I first began working in Burma about 25-ish years ago, my first friend there was a man named John J. Son. And John led a school called the Institute for Missions and Church Planting, of which I'm still a, a proud adjunct faculty member. And the first time I met John, he, took, he was going to take me out to a village in rural Burma, and we were going to go meet with some Christians. And when I got in the car, he said, we're going to pray. I said, I think that's a good idea. And John, on that day, taught me a prayer that I still pray every morning, and I will pray in a few hours when I get on an airplane. And here's what we prayed. Lord Jesus Christ, we place our lives in your hands to do with as you will. We pray only that you be glorified, whether by life or by death. It's a pretty good prayer to pray as you head off into a village in Burma. It's a pretty good prayer to pray as you head off to work tomorrow or school tomorrow. Lord Jesus Christ, I place my life in your hands to do with as you will. This is the joy of an eternal perspective. This is the joy of an eternal perspective. One other example, Colombia. In Colombia, we work with an organization that sends uh, indigenous church planters into those guerrilla-controlled red zones. Some of the most violent places on the planet uh, are these guerrilla-controlled red zones. And if you want to go with them and you fill out the card, you join, they train you. The last thing you have to do before you get on the bus or on the boat to go to your field is you have to fill out a card and you have to affirm three statements. And I want you to think this morning, could you affirm these things? If your husband and wife, the husband can't fill it out for his wife. She has to fill out her own. And they fill out a card. And the first thing says, I'm as right with God as I know how to be. I'm as right with God as I know how to be. Okay, I affirm that. Second one, I've said goodbye to my friends and my family. A little harder to sign that. The third one, I will not run. I will not run. They have martyrs every single year out of this group. Last July, I met with the widow of one of the martyrs there. The FARC came to their home. They had started this little church. They asked him if he would come and talk to them. He said, will I come home? And they said, yes, you'll come home, no problem. So he left, and they found his body the next day. His wife is still in that village because she said, God called me to this village as much as my husband. This is an eternal perspective. It changes our lives brothers and sisters, if we begin to think this way about the way we live our lives and what is important to us. So the joy of an eternal perspective, the second is just the power of the Word of God. The Word of God, this book, is the most precious thing you own. You may not agree with that, but I promise you it's true. It's 100% true. I've been able to distribute Bibles to people who would walk days, who had walked days, to come and get a Bible. Can you imagine? What would you walk days to get? The Word of God, I pray. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God, this book, is alive. Right? It's living and active. It can impact us. I have a dear friend in India named Paul. We'll call him Paul. 
Paul grew up a Hindu. He grew up in a kind of a radical wing of Hinduism, part of this, it's called Hindutva, this idea that all of India should be Hindu. He was part, as a young man, of attacking churches and pastors. And one day, his mom got sick. He's a young man. His mom gets sick, and she went to the hospital, and she went to Bangalore Baptist Hospital, proudly founded by Baptists more than 100 years ago. And two things you get when you go to Bangalore Baptist Hospital, you get good medical care, and you get a Bible. And when she came home with a Bible, Paul was enraged. You cannot have that book in this house. You got to get rid of it. And he told me, he said, I I said terrible things to my mother. I regret some of the things I said to my mom. But being a mom, what did she tell him? No, it's my book, right? So she wouldn't give it to him. Not long after that, he was involved in an incident one night where they were attacking some Christians. And he said it went terribly wrong. And he never told me what the details were. But he said, I came home and I went to my mother and I said, I need to see that book. I need to see that book. And this is what his quote to me was. I walked up on that roof. He went up on the roof of his house. I walked up on that roof with a Bible and a heart full of hate. And I came off that roof the next morning, a follower of Jesus. He'd never heard a sermon, not even as good as your pastor's, right? He had never heard anything like that. Didn't have any books, didn't know any Christians. The only Christians he knew were the ones that they were attacking. And yet he spent a night in this book. And it changed his life forever. Today, he still distributes Bibles like crazy all across India. Um, he's, a de- he's a dear brother. Um, Richard Wormbrand, our founder, said to people supporting our work, if you're not willing to die for what is in the Bible, you should not give money for Bibles. Because if you give, we will smuggle more Bibles. And if we smuggle more Bibles, there will be more martyrs. I can tell you in 13 years of working at VOM, that's absolutely true. It, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not an etching on a wall somewhere. I, I know many people who have died for their faith, who have paid a, a high, high price. But at the same time that we see this, we also see God's passion to put his word into the hands of his people. One of my favorite stories, and I love to tell the story because it's ridiculous, right? It's the craziest story I know. And it's about a brother of ours who lived in Lebanon. It's on our staff. He received a call one day from some brothers in Syria. And they said, we know brother so-and-so. And he said, you could get us Bibles. Is that true? And our staff member said, yeah, I can get you Bibles. And they said, okay, we, we need some because we have a small fellowship. And they said, we can't come into Lebanon and you can't come into Syria. But up in the mountains, there's a pass. Do you know this pass up on the border? He said, yeah, I know that. And they said, how about Thursday night at midnight? Sounds like a Jason Bourne movie, right? Thursday night at midnight, we'll meet up there. So he gets everything ready. He gets a box of Bibles. He puts them in his car. He drives up there on Thursday night. And when he arrives, there's two brothers with a donkey. And when he gets out with the box, they said, oh, we were hoping for more Bibles. That's why we brought the donkey. He said, well, you didn't really say, so I just brought you, you know, a box. And if you need more, just let me know and I can get you more Bibles. So they tied the box on the donkey and they walked back into Syria. And a short time later, they call him and said, hey, can we get three boxes of Bibles? Our fellowship continues to grow. He said, yes, I can, uh, we can do that. And they said, okay, hey, Thursday night again, midnight, right? Where we met last time. Can we meet there again? Yes, we can meet there. On Wednesday before that, he gets a call or he gets a text, actually. It says, brother, something has come up. We're not going to make it, but we're going to send the donkey, Right. Now, as he's telling me this story, he immediately says to me, Jonathan, donkeys aren't dogs. Donkeys don't fetch, right? 
And he said, but they were men of great faith, so I thought I should go. So he starts getting stuff together. And as he's telling me this story, he just keeps saying, all I could think was, donkeys aren't dogs. Donkeys don't fetch. How is this going to work? Thursday night comes. He's driving up to the pass. The whole way there, he's arguing with God. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm going to go up here and die in some war zone to meet a donkey with Bibles, right? And he just keeps arguing with God. And he gets there just before midnight. And he's sitting there. He's still arguing with God. And he tells the Lord, I said midnight. 1201, I'm gone, right? And he said he looked out of his window. And down the road, there's a donkey walking up the road. Now, his first thought was, that can't be their donkey, right? Now, if, if you drive home from church today, on your way home, if there's a donkey walking down the road in Georgia, something weird has happened, right? Circus got lost a donkey, something is going on. They're very common in, in the Middle East. But he thought, it can't be their donkey. Can't be, right? And he said, as he's still telling God how stupid this is, at just about midnight, the donkey stops next to his car. And he thinks, it must be their donkey, right? So he gets out. He goes over, and he's looking at the donkey. He's hoping there's a note, right? Bible donkey, right? Or this is the one, you know, something like that. He gets nothing. There's nothing there, but he thinks it's got to be their donkey. So he ties the three boxes of Bibles on the donkeys, he, or donkey. He turns around, slaps on the backside, and goes walking back into Syria. The next day, he gets a text. Hey, thanks so much for the Bibles. Now, I love that story, one, because it's ridiculous, right? I've still... I don't do TikTok, but I don't think there's a TikTok video that has a donkey fetching anything, right? And yet God, to put his word into the hands of his people, is willing to use a donkey. He uses donkeys a lot in scripture, right? And just as a postscript, not long after that, that donkey died. That donkey didn't die under interrogation for Bible smuggling or secret police or anything. Just a dumb old donkey dropped dead in the field. Our staff member called me from Lebanon and said, if you ever come to our headquarters, we have a large martyr's memorial out front. It's just a big wall with the names of martyrs from the first century up to today on it. And he said, Jonathan, you know that wall? And I said, don't even ask me. We're not putting Bible donkey on our martyr memorial. As long as I'm here, we're not going to do that. I know that. So the joy of an eternal perspective, there is more to this life. Lift up your eyes and look at Jesus, right? The power of the word of God, live in that book. Live in that book. If you find yourself bored with the Bible, read it again, right? The Bible is an amazing thing. And finally, just the boldness of a Christian. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, um, it says, the scripture says in verse 13, Now when they, the, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. As we talk about and as we get to meet our persecuted brothers and sisters, especially those just wild-eyed evangelists, one thing that is almost always true, they are common people, common men and women who have been with Jesus. You have those same opportunities, right? And I love the fact when they saw their boldness. There is a tremendous boldness uh, in the global church. So I have two stories to tell you real quick. One, when I first came to VOM... I led our work in India, and on one of those trips, I got to meet with a thousand indigenous church planters. So a thousand Indian church planters trying to reach the state of Uttar Pradesh, 200 million people uh, with the gospel. And I got to interview some of them, and a young man came out, and he had a bicycle. 
Now, it wasn't a cool bicycle. It wasn't like a Cannondale or whatever. It was like my grandpa's bicycle, right? Had the handlebars that just came like this, had two tires and two pedals. Except he'd made some modifications. On the front, he'd put a loudspeaker. But not a, not a nice one, more like one from the high school when some of us old guys played football, made for volume, not for quality. You know, that just sounds like the teacher in the peanuts. He has this speaker on the front. On the back, he has a stack of gospel literature and a lantern. And on the crossbar, he's got a drum, like a snare drum without a snare. And he came walking up with a big smile on his face. I said, brother, I can't wait to hear what you do. He said, oh, the Lord has given me an amazing ministry. I said, I'm sure he has. What do you do? He said, I ride my bicycle into villages where there are no Christians and there is no church. And I bang on my drum. And I said, you may be the coolest guy I've ever met in my life. I said, what happens when you bang on a drum? He said, he looked at me kind of strange. He goes, well, people come out in the street because there's someone banging on a drum. And I'm like, okay, I got it. Well, what happens when the crowd comes out? And he said, I preach the gospel. And I said, you are the coolest guy I've ever met. I said, what happens when you preach the gospel? He said, brother, it's amazing. Sometimes we see the Lord touch the hearts of people, and we see the birth of a church where there has never been a church before. I said, that's incredible. I said, well, what about other times? He said, oh, they beat me. I said, brother, I am so sorry. I said, what do you do when they beat you? And he said, when I wake up, I ride to the next village. So as we sit here this morning in a nice, comfortable church, we know hundreds, thousands of people walking into villages to preach the gospel. He, he never went to seminary, Bible college. He had a simple gospel presentation. He was willing to take a beating to share that. He's one of my heroes. At the end, I asked him, what, can I, what do you need? I'd have given that guy a truck. What do you need? He said, would you pray for me? I said, oh, I'd be honored to pray for you. So we prayed. He shook my hand, and he walked back into the crowd. And I have never forgot that. We'll never forget that encounter with that young man. Probably the most impactful thing that's ever happened to me on staff at VOM. Um, a few years ago, I was in Arumshi, China, far western China, almost central Asia. Arumshi is where the Uyghurs are. The Uyghurs are a Muslim minority group that the Chinese have put into re-education camps. We would call them concentration camps. They're still there today. And I went with another staff member, two of us, and we went and we were meeting with underground Uyghur pastors, Christians, because God is moving everywhere, Right? And we, it was, the security situation was very difficult, so we would have a meeting, we'd get in a car, we'd drive around town for a few, maybe 10, 15 minutes, we'd end up two doors down from the hotel, just trying to make sure we weren't being followed or watched. Uh, we had an incredible week, and it came time to leave, and we were going to go to Hohat in Inner Mongolia. Well, when we went to the airport, we hadn't seen any other Westerners the whole time we were there. I don't want to talk to anybody. Because I don't like to lie to people. If I can help it, I'm not going to lie to you, right? But if I'm sitting in the airport in Arumshi, China, and you say, what are you doing in Arumshi? And to say, oh, I'm meeting with underground Uyghur pastors. It's kind of a non-starter, right, for the whole conversation. So I just don't talk to people. So I got on the plane. I sat down, got headphones in, got out a book, not making eye contact with anyone because I don't want to talk to anyone. While I'm waiting, a, a Chinese businessman, older man, gets on the plane, coat and tie, and then just before they close the door, a young lady gets on the plane, maybe 25. And I haven't greeted either one. I'm just sit down. And as soon as they close the door and the plane pushed back, she reached over and she tapped me on the shoulder. Well, I'm giving out the hardest don't bug me vibes I can. But now she's tapping me on the shoulder. So I made a production of taking my headphones out and finding a bookmark, closing my book. And I looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, excuse me, sir, do you know Jesus? 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I was in my early mid-50s. No one until that moment had ever tried to share the gospel with me outside of a church, right? I thank God for the local church. I would be a pagan today if it were not for the church. But I have a crisis on my hands, right? Because I don't want to have this conversation on an airplane surrounded by Chinese people um, who I don't know what they can hear. But I also thought, I'm about to order a ginger ale. I can't deny Christ and then order a ginger ale, right? Even Peter would laugh at me when I get to heaven, right? So I looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. I I know Jesus. I talked to her like she's my mom the whole time. Yes, ma'am, I know Jesus. She said, so you're a Christian. Yes, ma'am, I'm a Christian. She goes, are you a good Christian? I I think so, right? She said, well, do you read your Bible every day? Yes, ma'am, I read my Bible every day. She said, do you you pray every day? Yes, ma'am, I pray every day. She said, do you tell people about Jesus every day? No, ma'am, not every day, right? And she said, I will pray for you. And I said, please do, right? Please do. This is the weirdest thing. Please do pray for me. But I actually thought I was still in America where someone says, I'll pray for you. And then I get in my car and go home, right? She didn't do that. We're still rolling down the tarmac. She puts her hand on my shoulder and she prays for me. And I will never forget. She prayed that I would have boldness and the courage of my convictions, right? The plane takes off. We start talking and she's learning English from a bilingual Bible. Her English was already better than mine. I always say I'm almost fluent in English, right? And get around town, order a sandwich, talked about worship music. And then she said, you should pray. I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. Well, I'm no threat to her at all because I don't look Chinese, not even a little bit. I'm an aggressively built old white guy. This guy looks like the poster child for the Chinese Communist Party. And what she's about to do is very illegal and very, very dangerous. So I prayed my guts out for 15 minutes. And you know what she did? She turned over and she tapped him on the shoulder. And I'm pretty confident she asked him, excuse me, do you know Jesus? And after about 15 minutes of talking to him, she looked back at me and she told me his name. And she said, we should pray for him. I told him about Jesus, but he doesn't believe. So we did. Somewhere over central China, we prayed. We landed in Hohat. I found out her husband was on the same flight, across the aisle, up one row, middle seat. He said, we travel every week on business and we share the gospel with everyone that we meet. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I've been to seminary and every evangelism course you could take in the last 45 years. I feel like a physical therapist, right? EE, CWT, all these initials. I believe that young lady has the best evangelism strategy I've ever heard. She didn't try to build a bridge to me. She wasn't trying to find something that we might have in common so we could start talking. She just asked me, excuse me, do you know Jesus? So here's what I want to do today as we close. I want to challenge you. You live in the largest English-speaking mission field in the world, right? It's right here, uh, even in Georgia, right? It's, it's right here. I dare you this week, I dare you one time, walk up to someone, tap them. You don't have to touch them. You can just walk up to someone and say, excuse me, do you know Jesus? You have no idea where that conversation may go. You have no idea. If they ask you a hard question, bring them to your pastor. Oh, my pastor knows everything. He can tell you, right? One thing I can promise you will not happen. You will not be beaten with rods in the street in Georgia for trying to ask, share the gospel, right? Try to share the gospel. So would you do that? I double dog dare you. If you do that, please let your pastor know or someone know. If you're nervous about that, take a friend. Students, take a friend because then there's no way you'll back down, right? I want to pray for you, and I pray that you, you've been encouraged because you have a family, an incredible family around the world. So let's pray. 
Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would indeed encourage their hearts. I pray that you would challenge them. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that some of them, even one of them this week, would ask someone, excuse me, do you know Jesus? And see where you might lead them. So Father, bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes our perspective of what the Lord is doing is so small. It's just right in our little central spot or maybe our little community. But man, this morning in the whole idea of kingdom thinking, I just wanted you to hear what God is doing across the world. What Jonathan didn't say is that there is revivals happening all over the world. And it seems like the more persecuted the place, the bigger the revival, the, the bigger God is moving. The more God needs us to come behind those that are standing in the gap for him. Church, this morning, my prayer is twofold for us. Number one, maybe today was the day that somebody, the Holy Spirit, tapped you on the shoulder and asked you, do you know Jesus? I just want to ask you today, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you invited him into your life to become your Savior, your Lord? Have you given him all of you to say, here, it's yours? Because if you haven't, today can be your day. In just a second, we're going to have our time of invitation. We do this just about every week for one reason, and that is to give people a chance to allow what has been said to sink into their hearts and allow for a time of decision. I'm going to be standing over here by the Next Steps banner, and this morning, maybe today or maybe this whole week, there's been something in your spirit that's been saying, you need me. Listen, that's the Lord. That's the Lord calling you. Maybe today you need to solidify that and you just need to walk up to myself or one of the other people that will be standing by me today and just say, hey, I need Jesus today. What can I do? Man, we'd love to walk with you in that. But then secondly today, the challenge that's been laid out before us is that we are a missional people. We have a missional faith, an action faith. Maybe today the challenge before you is, man, who is it this week that you need to look in the eyes today tomorrow, the next day, and say, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Lord Jesus, walk with us in these next couple of minutes, Jesus. Press into our hearts that not only do we have brothers and sisters across the world that we need to be lifting up to stand firm, but God, also we do too. Lord, during this time of invitation, God, press into our hearts how we can stand and be a light for you Lord Jesus, it's in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.